1: Welcome to episode number 47 of Circles Off A special guest this week for this episode He's a data scientist He's the founder of PowerRank.com, Which I highly encourage you to check out He's the author of How to Win Your NCAA Tournament Pool Newer version available on Amazon and on Kindle as well You can check that out Dr. Ed Fang, thank you for joining us on Circles Off.
2: Thanks so much for having me. It's a, it's a real honor, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation.
1: Thanks, Ed. Yeah, so
0: uh, for everyone listening today, we are going to delve deep into some college basketball stuff right before, you know, the infamous March Madness Tournament, NCAA March Madness, starting next week. So with Ed today, we're going to go through a bunch of different topics about how to break down different things within this tournament, but also mainly what Ed specializes in here is strategy around filling out your bracket. We know a lot of you guys might have an office bracket pool, a different challenge you might do, something with your buddies. Um, this episode is one you're not going to want to miss because hopefully it's going to make you some expected value in those bracket pools.
1: All right, Ed, let's get started with your your background uh, as we do with every one of our guests. Uh, I, had, I have long known that you're a Stanford PhD, but... I was reading the back cover of how to win your NCAA tournament pool. And you were a Stanford PhD in chemical engineering, which we've you know crossed paths many times in the past. I never knew that before. Um, so I'm very curious how you go from a career path towards chemical engineering into predicting the outcome of sporting events.
2: Yeah, so maybe let me start with how I got into chemical engineering. Sounds good. I was a high school senior. And I took a college visit to Case Western Reserve University. And as a pretentious prick that I was, maybe still am, I went up to the chemical engineering prof and I said, is this the hardest major? And he said, yes. And after that, I decided I wanted to major in chemical engineering. So I go off to college. I didn't go to Case. I went to, I went to Rice and uh, did chemical engineering and enjoyed it, liked it enough. And knew that I wanted to go on to grad school. So after the summer after my junior year, uh, I got an internship out at Stanford. I thought it'd be nice to go check out California, maybe somewhere where I wanted to go to grad school. And I got a job in uh, in the lab of a guy who does polymer science. And the first thing I did in that lab was pour a bunch of chemicals together to try to make a polymer. And uh, it wasn't my cup of tea. Uh, I don't really do experiments. Um, I, I don't like experiments. Uh, I guess I like cooking, but that, that's about the extent of, of how I like to experiment. So that summer I realized like, okay, I like this chemical engineering thing. I wanna go into grad school, but I don't do experiments. So let me, let me try to get into the quantitative aspect of it. And that's what I ended up doing. I started studying the quantitative aspect of polymers when I was in grad school. Ended up going out to Stanford for grad school. Started studying essentially applied math with my advisor. And it turns out that the, the math behind statistical mechanics is, is almost a perfect background to get into sports analytics. Mm-hmm. A lot of the variation that you see in physical systems turns out to be the same in, uh, in sports. Uh, when you look at fluctuations in games, um, there there's some interesting relationships that remind you of things called like the fluctuation dissipation theorem in statistical mechanics so it ended up being a great background. The other aspect of it that made it a great background was uh, the, the math that I learned through my thesis. Uh, I had to learn about the, the math behind Markov chains. So these are random processes. And um, and I, I learned about that in my thesis. And that turned out to be really useful later because uh, I went on to a couple academic stops. And uh, my last stop, man, my last real stop, was at Berkeley. And it was, I say it was my last real stop in the sense that by the time I left there, I knew I wasn't going to be an academic. <laughs> I managed to piss off everybody that I needed to help me get my next job. Um, and, you know, I was kind of a young, stubborn kid, didn't didn't really want to publish or perish, wanted to write one brilliant paper. And, and that just doesn't work in the real world of academia. And so I was kind of looking for something else to do. I'd always been a sports fan. And you know, I was really hoping that I could do something in sports. And I stumbled upon what uh, the original creators of Google were doing and their, their page rank algorithm. And essentially, they were making sense of the internet based on the link structure of the web. So um, if, you, if you think about you know, what defines an important website, well, one definition could be that you're getting inbound links from other important websites. And so I thought that might be an entryway into sports with the analogy being like websites are like teams and, you know, maybe you're a good team if you beat another good team and how do you do that? And it turns out the mathematics of Markov chains is, is, uh, is how you do that. Um, I went and took page rank, uh, fussed with it so that it would accept margin of victory as an input. And that's the power rank algorithm. It takes the original version takes margin of victory and adjusts for strength to schedule. And you know, margin of victory is a point spread, right? I mean, that's essentially what you're looking at, at the at the end of every game. Um, uh, it's it's you know, and you want to make a predicted point spread. And you know, you you know, for any game, you could just take the raw margin of victory of two teams and subtract them, and that will give you a predicted point spread. I don't think you should bet with that. But what I do is I take those margin of victories in games and I adjust for who you played. And that's obviously very important in, I I will argue it's very important in NFL, but um, there's more parity in the NFL. So you may not accept that argument, but in college basketball, it's critical. There's so many different teams. There's so many wide variety of uh, just strengths of teams, strengths of conferences and college basketball is a really fertile ground to look at that college football as well. Um, I also do some uh, international soccer rankings on my site. Um, The code needs a, A big update, so you don't have to wait four months for the stupid thing to update these days. Um, But international soccer is another uh, another sport that you know. There's a wide variation between Brazil at the top and you know Suriname at the bottom, and so this the power rank algorithm really helps you with that. And um, I guess that's the long way that chemical engineering led into sports.
1: All right. So let's get into the transition into betting now, um, which has obviously become a major thing across North, always has been really a major thing in North America. But now with regulated markets, it's growing. More people have eyes on it. What does your day-to-day look like from a betting perspective? Because obviously you manage the power rank. So some of your time is devoted to that. You're producing content, whether that's written or your podcast as well, the football analytics show uh, with the power rank and Ed Fang, Uh, and then betting on games yourself. What does your your day-to-day look like? How is that divided?
2: Yeah, I mean, during football, it's it's kind of a week-to-week thing, I would say. You know, a lot of the early part of the week, Sunday, Monday, is devoted to the pure data science aspect of it, updating the numbers, getting that up for members. And then, you know, I would say early in that week is really when I try to make my plays based on those numbers. So taking those numbers, when those numbers suggest value, thinking about whether that makes sense uh, or whether, you know, no model is perfect. Obviously, um, I definitely trust my NFL model um, more than any other one that that I run. And uh, so I try to make sense whether that makes sense in terms of, uh what I know about the teams, what Rob Brazola said last week uh, about teams, uh, what a lot of other people that I respect say, and so I would say like that mid part of the week is is geared towards finding bets, and some of them I bet. Well, I, I bet all of them. Some of them end up being content for my site, and then um, yeah, and then I. But I would say like you know more of my time ends up being spent on the site. I had kind of had this vision uh, in August of 2021 that I was going to spend more time betting uh, over the course of football season. And, you know, I'm I'm a little sad to say that that really didn't happen Mm -hmm. in in the way that I envisioned it. And I'm, you know, every year is different. And I think every year for all of us in the space kind of brings new challenges. It's one of the things that I really love about the betting space and and doing my own thing with my own company. Um, But yeah, I would like to figure out a way to do a little bit more substantial betting with it as, as the future comes. And I don't know exactly what that looks like. Uh, but that's kind of a rough estimate of, of how things go with uh, between betting, content, and the site.
1: I like how you walked us through your NFL betting over the course of a week. Um, it mirrors a lot of what I do as well. Um, you're a numbers guy. I'm a numbers guy. But I add a, a layer, a subjective layer of analysis on top of what I do. I'm never betting against my model's outputs. Um, but sometimes I'll say, you know what, this doesn't seem right to me. Maybe I'm going to toe the line and not bet on this team or so on and so forth. But it also comes with its inherent challenges. You mentioned that you, you potentially listen to me over the course of the week and consume other content. Um, I'm just very curious, you know, kind of how you weigh those things because, um, from a personal perspective, I think at all times there can come a point where a better lacks confidence. You're on a bad run. You start listening to all these things that are happening around you, and maybe someone vehemently disagrees with stuff you have to say, and you start to question your things. So how much of what you do is just strictly trusting the model versus this subjective layer that's on top of it?
2: Yeah, I think that's an ongoing thing, Rob. Uh, Let me give you an example from this year. So so one of the characteristics of my model is there's almost no rushing statistics in there. Okay. And, and when you have an NFL model that has almost zero rushing statistics in there, I mean, and there's a good reason I don't have rushing statistics in there. You know, a lot of my analysis suggests that it's just, it's not related to the number of points the team scores. So when you do that, like y- you ended up betting against the Eagles and the Colts a lot this year. Yeah. And there was one particular example. I think it was uh, Eagles chargers where I think uh, I, I forget the exact numbers, but I, but I had the chargers. And I felt really good about that bet, and um, and 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 the market moved drastically in the other direction. I I think it went from maybe charges a two point favorite at Philly to a pick or something like that. And you know, looking back, thinking back upon it now, I think that was the right side. Um, I, I think I like, I still like Philly in that side. But but there were a number of bets over the course of the year where I'm looking at my numbers and. You know, I mean, Rob, I think Rob and Johnny, I think you can question a model if you're six points off what the market says. But, you know, at the end of the season, my number was six points off on a lot of these Colts games and especially heading into that season finale at Jacksonville. And, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't think either one is necessarily right. I think there's aspects of my model that are right. I think there's aspects of the market that overreacted to what, what we saw with the Colts this year. And in some sense, I, I guess I want to say I don't think I trusted my model enough over this past year. Yep. And I think my as my process evolves, like this offseason, I'm gonna dig in and, and say, like, okay, so let's look at teams that rush really well or stop the run. Eh, no one really cares about stopping the run, but but has a guy like uh, Jonathan Taylor and let's maybe look back at all the games in which you know my market, you know, my model is off the market pretty significantly and see how it did. Um, you know, that's gonna be a small sample size, so, so that's not perfect. But, you know, looking back upon what I did, I think I should have trusted the model a little bit more and not talked myself out of a couple of bets um, over the course of that season. I think I definitely talked myself out of uh, betting a couple of games against the Eagles and against the Colts um, and, you know, going back and see how those did. And um, I think that's, you know, that's one way I'm looking to improve the process. But I, I don't think I think it's always evolving kind of that model versus your know, subjective analysis. I'm sure it's I, I presume it's always evolving for you as well, probably.
1: It is. I mean, it's pretty regular for me. Um, I think I, I, I deal with a lot of the same things you deal with because of the way that we approach sports, which is from a numbers perspective. I've learned over the years that, you know, if you have a 10% on edge on a game and your model's, out, out, you know, spitting out that type of edge or, or larger, it's very likely that you're not capturing something that the market is. However, you only have to be directionally correct, right? right. I mean, even if your edge is overstated, if you still have an edge on that side, unless you're, you're, you're going to you know, completely bankrupt yourself by following like a full strict Kelly criterion type of um, staking pattern, then you just have to be directionally correct. And that's the, the, you know, the, the goal more often than not. So, I mean, I, I feel a lot of the exact same things that you do where uh, over the course of the years, doesn't matter what sport it is that I'm betting on, where you might be constantly betting against a team and the market is constantly moving the other way. And then you kind of have to take a step back and say, hmm, am I, what am I missing here? And you you can kind of go crazy when you start evaluating at that level, right? To the point where you start to question all the work that you've put in and the backtesting you've done and whatever. So it's, it's not it's not a simple game by any stretch of the imagination. I think so much of what comes with it, Ed, um, is the mental aspect of just being willing to say, you know what? I've put this together. I'm fairly confident it works. I've tested it. I know that this doesn't matter. This does matter. And just kind of running with it. And I, I don't know why it's so hard to do that at points for certain originators, myself included, but I, I tend to personally struggle with that on um, uh, on like a weekly monthly basis.
2: Right. And, and it brings me to something uh, that Alan Boston told me on my podcast uh, not too long ago, you know, I asked him about closing line value and he didn't think it was that important simply because he thinks he needs to do something different in order to get an edge. And I'm, I'm not going to come on the show and say closing line value is bogus because I, I do not believe that. Right. But in a sport like the NFL, where I believe I have dug into the numbers to extent that I would say few other people have, maybe I'm at a point where like not every game is going to go my way, but it could still be the right side. And I I haven't even, I haven't fully processed whether I think that's true. Um, I think the more quantitative analysis you can put behind an assumption like that, like a little bit, like, like I talked about earlier, looking back at these games involving the Eagles and the Colts, you know, the more you can say, okay, I don't care as much about closing line value for this team. Um, But you know, I mean, for for example, like I, you know, I'm doing college basketball now. And if I don't get closing line value on a game, yeah, <laughs> it's not a good bet. Right. Right. Yeah. Like my models are very similar to what other people are doing. I'm not doing anything special. I mean, I've told you what I'm doing. Like I have margin of victory and I adjust for strength of schedule. And I think my model is good. And I try to understand these teams on top of that. But like, I haven't really dug into a point where. I can say, like, yeah, I'm ahead of everyone, and I have something that that maybe no one else is doing. With football, may, maybe that's the case. I don't know. Uh, again, and you can only—it's never a one and zero whether you're right or whether you're not. It's—it's it's, you know how confident you can be in that assumption, and uh, and I, I think there's just requires work to figure out.
0: Ed, I have a question for you actually because I I'm a slightly different, better in terms of style. Uh, of you and rob here who you know you guys are building ground up models um, originating on the NFL which i I do not do at all so I was also just wanted to kind of dig a little bit deeper into like the process of what you do before you actually place a bet so you're you've explained kind of how you actually come up with what you want to bet but in that example you mentioned okay I want chargers I want the chargers today what then goes into it obviously uh, I mean and I guess if you if you want to, share where you at where you're at right now where you're from you're obviously in a, in a state with a lot of uh, a lot of options for sports betting
2: yeah I'm in the state of Michigan uh we have a lot of online sports books that are available here and um, you know if I like a game uh if my numbers like the game if my subjective analysis on top of that likes it as well um you know I look at other things obviously uh, there's a lot of people out there that I trust like Rob and then I try to look at where markets have been or how markets have moved on these games on these teams in the last couple of games. I think that's an important piece of information that allows you to anticipate what's going to happen uh, in the future. And, you know, if most of these things are pointing in the right direction, then, then I go ahead and, and make a bet. And I, I don't, um, you know, I don't make the biggest size bets so I can get in there pretty early in the week mm-hmm. uh, when the, when the lines are softer. And I do that with football and With football, I, you know, I rarely bet on the weekend, rarely.
0: Yep. Yeah, fair enough. I think a lot of people at this point um, who are originating or finding the edges, same same kind of way, right? You know, early week or the, the openers from the, the overnights on Sunday and then kind of just following the market and then saying, all right, these are my positions these numbers, I oh, wish I would have bet all these games. These ones, out, oh, wish I didn't bet these ones and kind of go, go for it. Does that sound familiar, Rob?
1: It does. Uh, very familiar. I mean, it, listen, there's, there's so many different things with the NFL um, specifically, but I, I think, Ed, you bring up a lot of um, good conversation points in that I personally think it's very healthy to, I don't want to say question everything, but to have some sort of internal dialogue with yourself of, um, you know, the closing line value argument is a good one, right? I mean, we are conditioned to believe or, you know, a lot of the content out there winning betters in the space are, you know, you need closing line value in order to win. But there's exceptions to those rules as well, right? We've talked about some of them on the podcast before. I think over, I think it's very valuable metric over time. But um, I, I think it's it's important to just be able to question things in the space and kind of do your own research and, and whether or not, um, you think there's value to certain things. So uh, a lot of that certainly hit home with me, uh, on a personal level, I'm just very curious because, um, I, I don't model a number of sports, but I still like to bet on them. Uh, it's more of a recreational thing for me. Do you find yourself doing the same for stuff that you don't model?
2: I try to avoid it. Okay. So I'll give you a good example. So this morning, uh, this week, I really wanted to, to bet Illinois in the big 10 conference tournament. And uh, even though things are kind of busy with, with brackets and stuff, uh, there's a lot of prep that that goes in my podcast this week. I was like, look, I really want to bet this. So, Um, so I, so Rob, I, I didn't, I didn't bet my hunch and, and I was like, well, let me, let me get some numbers on this because I have the code. And then, so Tuesday I worked really hard to get that code working and it was just a failure. <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing for me to say, but like, I couldn't do it because of the, like the advanced structure of the bracket. Yep. Like there's like two sets of play rounds and my code was just like, no, no, I'm not. I, I refuse to accept this. So I started writing a different simulator to do it. And then like, that wasn't quite right. And that wasn't giving me the same answers as what the other one gets. So I, I couldn't really trust that. But then I found a workaround. So I was just like, forget it. Who cares about those teams and those, those, that first playing game? Like, let's just assume a winner and, and go on. And so I did that this morning and I calculated a bunch of odds and uh, you know, it turned out that there wasn't much value on, on Illinois. It was very close to the, to the market value. Um, and spoiler alert, I, I, I don't think Illinois can win the NCAA tournament, but man, they, they can make life hell for, for a bunch of teams with the talent that they have. So um, I ended up putting a small bet on Illinois simply because I think the numbers are uh, underestimating their strength. And one of the reasons is, is one of their key players has been hurt for the majority of the season. And this is a guy that I've been eyeing for the last couple of years, thinking he can be big 10 player of the year by the time he graduates a uh, guard named Andre Cabello. So I did put a little bit of a bet there, um, but I tend to lean on the numbers simply because I, I think that gives you a, a, a basis to uh t- to make a bet and because i got that code working i did the odds for all the other uh conference tournaments and you know there was a question of i you know i um i think this duke team is kind of interesting and it turned out th- there was a little bit of value of duke as a, as a pretty big favorite in the acc tournament They're they were minus 125 uh, my numbers suggested that there was value on that simply because the rest of the conference is so freaking bad <laughs> this year. And um so I, I think I I I think that's a good example of where I kind of let the numbers tell me where there's value because these these margins are really thin, right? Um, there wasn't a ton of value, you know, there was a couple of percentage points. I think I, you know, I had Duke at 57% chance to win that tournament versus 50, you know, versus a break even probability of 55. So it's not a a huge edge, but I think there is one. I, I kind of had a hunch that there was one. And so I, I bet that there's also the factor that like Duke really embarrassed themselves in that coach K home finale. Yeah. They, they played really bad. And they're going to use this tournament as a, as a way to write the ship. There's going to be a ton of motivation there, whereas maybe there's not 100% motivation every year. So, um, And then you can also use the same like logic for Arizona. I thought Arizona was going to be a pretty prohibitive favorite because I think they're a really good team. Um, they're about like minus 110, I think, this morning. Uh, but the number said no. The number said uh, you know their probability of winning the, the Pac-12 was about 50%. And 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 that's just because UCLA is better than anyone in in uh, you know that besides Duke in the ACC. So yeah, I mean I I do let the numbers kind of tell me where those small edges are because these edges edges should be pretty small at this point.
1: In terms of the numbers, anyone out there can find Ed's projections at thepowerrank.com. And I want to talk a little bit about the Power Rank because it's a website that I've used uh, for multiple years, Ed, since meeting you. Um, I particularly like a lot of the written content that you do. Um, We referenced the how to predict interceptions in the NFL article when we had you on for our Super Bowl props um, podcast. And what I particularly like about your written content is it's unique for one. It's typically topics that I don't see elsewhere, but there's also a wide range of them, um, like covering different sports, a ton of different topics. How do you come up with the topics that you're going to write about, Ed?
2: Um, I mean, more recently, it's just been like, I want to be a better, better. Right. So the the interception things came about because one offseason, I was like, all right. So there's a lot of randomness and turnovers in football. But like, can we do anything, anything a little bit better? And. Um, yeah, so actually, one thing I'm working on this offseason, which is based on a talk I gave last May, was like, um, I ended up writing the thing about predicting interceptions and uh i think that in itself is an interesting data thing about like don't look at a very small set of events that are just picks right look at a bigger set of events that are indicative of of a quarterback's behavior um and and that bigger set ends up being passed as defended so um that that allows for for better predictions but but the journey to predicting interceptions was not linear at all like i took like a couple week maybe a month long foray into fumbles Mm -hmm. that at the end of the day wasn't particularly fruitful and you know it was only a couple weeks later that i was like well there's
0: so many more picks than fumbles like focus on the picks Um, have you tried it on any other sports like anything else college basketball potentially or even like anything like the whole concept of hey don't just look at interceptions which is one one stat which is like you know how many interceptions does a quarterback throw in the in the entire year it's not like it's not hundreds right so have you tried that same concept with any other sports key stats I have not tried that concept um
2: in in other sports I'm trying to think I mean maybe I have but um yeah no I, I don't think so but uh you actually reminded me, Johnny, thinking about other sports, of, of just another way in which um, some content came about this week. Uh, when, when is this? Uh, when is this podcast going to drop? Uh, probably probably th- Thursday?
1: Thursday, tomorrow. Yep.
2: Yeah. Okay. So, so I've been working with Edward Ugras on a lot of the content on the on the football analytics show, and he suggested for some stuff we're doing, like, oh, let's let's talk to these people that have done some work on predicting upsets in the NCAA tournament. And I was kind of like, no, it's like small sample size. Right. Like I, I don't, I, I don't, you know, like you, you, I, I just don't trust like that work. Right. I don't, I don't think there's a lot of stuff because anytime you say, Oh, I'm just going to look at uh, tournament games and look at the characteristics of these games and figure out what upsets are you're, you're limiting your sample size. And he's like, no, 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 we should really do this. And I don't know. I mean, I guess it's a little pretentious to me, but I was always I've, I've always been of the belief that it's really hard to predict upsets beyond what our models tell us, beyond what the markets have, um, basically, because there's a lot of randomness in college basketball. And that's also really fascinating in the sense like I've just been uh, i been reading The Signal and the Noise by Nate Silver. And I've always had this belief that like, why the heck can't geophysicists like predict earthquakes? Right. You know, like not knowing anything about the problem. I'm like, oh, you guys, of course you guys should be able to predict earthquakes. You've been working on this for 200 years. Well, it turns out it's really hard because we don't understand the, the underlying physics about how rocks move. Right. And, and once you understand that, like, oh, okay, that makes sense. It's kind of like my belief that it's really hard to predict upsets in, in college basketball. Um, so anyways, the, the reason I asked why this podcast is when this podcast was going to drop because the episode Friday on the football analytics show. So we're doing a bracket wisdom series. Um, and well, whatever, I'm just going to tell you what happened because, because <laughs> I enjoy this story so much. So I was like, all right, let's look at, let's look at how to predict upsets, right? Forget, forget looking at one set of tournament games. Like let's look at all college basketball games in which an underdog is, uh, as, is, is is a dog by six or more points, right? That gives you a decent sample size of games. It gives you a sample size of about 400 games from the current season. And what I found is like, okay, so you can kind of guess that maybe teams slow the pace down, right? Right. Take advantage of the variance. Uh, You know, if, if, if you, if you have a lot of possessions, you're going to get closer, you're going to closer, you're going to,
0: the favorite is more likely to win. Correct
2: you want to get advantage of of the variance of fewer possessions. Yeah, same way so when you
0: look at in the NFL for anyone listening, if there's a game with a spread of like 55, it's going to be a lot, you know, more variable than a spread of like 39
1: total. Total, but to- correct, total correct. sorry. Yes. Total.
2: Yeah. Exactly. So, it turns out there's no evidence of that. Like the pace is actually higher, slightly higher in games in which an underdog of 6 or more point ends up winning. Mm-hmm. So the other thing you can ask is like, well, those underdog teams like jack up threes, right? Right. Again, trying to increase the variance of of what's going on. And so you dig into these games in which an underdog of six or more points wins and they actually shoot fewer threes Um, and the favorites shoot more threes. And I think that's because of the game state. I think because to beat a favorite, you have to be up late and then you're not shooting threes, Right. right? Yep. Um, I don't know if I I don't know if that's completely true, Um, but they're not shooting more threes. So I don't want to say that there's not individual coaches out there that are smart enough to say I'm a six point dog. I'm going to slow it down. We're going to shoot more threes. I'm sure they exist. But overall in college basketball, that's that's far from true. And it turns out that the biggest effect is three point shooting. So dogs of six or more points that win shoot five and a half percent. Better from three than their season-long average, and three-point shooting is the most difficult, if not impossible, thing to predict.
0: Right? Actually, Johnny, you know this, right? I mean, you guys are betting these three-point props. <laughs> it's tough. I mean, randomness is your friend. Lot of lot of randomness there. You're you're 100 right. So then, what would you what would you go from there? Then would it be? Looking at what teams have the highest range of outcomes within the three-point percentage for the for the the year, I guess, or like, how would you then go about evaluating that to pick which dogs to win?
2: No, I tell you that it's impossible to pick which dogs to win beyond the point spread and <laughs> just pure luck. There's so like, much
1: luck involved in underdog so, winning,
2: is what okay. you're getting at. Yeah.
0: So right. okay, but ba- backing up, let's say we we did, and I know it's not firm conclusion, but let's say we did determine that hey, one of the one of the things that's typically constant. When an underdog beats a favorite of, let's say, 10 points, uh, 10 point spread, then we'd say like this team typically would need to shoot above this percentage uh, from three and would potentially have to have, you know, a good free throw shooting game as well to make sure that the other team's not clawing back in from the missing the front end of the one and one. Let's say, for example, we outlined those two and then you had a way to evaluate which teams were going to have high variance within the three point shooting game whether it be they had a a team of high variable shooters or whether they just haven't shot a lot of threes in the season. And maybe Mm -hmm. if you haven't shot a lot of threes in the season, come out with that, that mentality, like you might be able to get it. If you had a way to then predict the three point shooting, would then that be an edge that you think would exist in college basketball?
2: I think yes, but I, that's the big if, right. And like, personally, Johnny, I'm, I don't feel confident enough that I would find anything interesting enough. Like just, just the thing that you said, how do you predict a team that can maybe in a game shoot two or three percentage points better from three point range? A lot of what I've seen in college basketball suggests that that's just simply impossible. And, and part of that evidence is, you know, on a team level, you can look at what a team has shot from three point range and you see massive regression from early to late season to, um, I mean, massive regression, like the R squared is like, like 1%. Like there's literally zero relationship. So, you know, Johnny, if you can, if you can tell me how to, how to predict the games in which, uh, you know, a team's going to shoot better, I'm, I'm all ears because that would Sorry. not only be good for your props, and, um, but that would be the key.
1: I have a theory. I don't know that the NCAA basketball data is good enough to do this, but I would feel that a team using more um, small ball lineups in recent games would be something that might be a predictor because obviously the, the the smaller the players on the court, I think the more likely that they are to be better shooters from long range. That's just like a, you know, general hypothesis. I'm pretty sure is is true. So I think maybe something around the player rotations where teams that are shifting towards more small ball lineups. Now is the NCAA data good enough to, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't model model college basketball uh, anymore, but I, I, I mean, that's where I would start as just a pure hypothesis of something to look at. It was the first thing that came into my head is less big guys on the court, more likely you are to be able to shoot threes. Yeah,
2: absolutely. I I like that hypothesis. I think you could do a little bit because we do have play-by-play with with college. I mean, I don't have a play-by-play, but someone out there has play-by-play with college basketball to look at it. But it also gets me thinking, I mean, you can definitely do this for the NBA, right? Um, Whether teams change styles and i would now that you mentioned it rob like i mean that's that's probably the next study that should be done right like what do what do teams of dogs of six points in the nba how do they pull off the win and our coaches slowing it down shooting more threes putting in lineups with guards i don't know if that's true but it it should be true right i mean the, i mean the nba is as analytics driven as, as any league out there
1: i think also there's a possibility to gain an edge on live markets by doing stuff like that as well which is yes. probably not taken into account right now because um obviously like even with the deck prism stuff now it's pretty sophi- sophisticated models but i'm sure those guys would tell you um david owen and, and miller um, that you can't just account for everything either and there's ways to kind of think outside the box to try to gain an edge in those which we kind of you know me and johnny have our own perspective live betting edges in different sports but yeah easy money tons of bomb banging (laughs) there's tons of applications (laughs) to this stuff which is why it's fun i think uh yeah you know you you, i i write down while i'm watching football in the regular season i have like a notepad where i just tend to write down things that stand out to me and i do a lot of research on them in the off season and it turns out that more often than not i've potentially found something that is a value that i wasn't accounting for earlier and i i think um the more analysis that's done in the space like this, I think um, the more edges that can be found. Now, granted, they probably are temporary. Everyone will pick up on them over time and then you have to separate in some other way, but I think it's pretty cool stuff. So
0: one other thing I would yes. I would mention it. Oh, sorry to cut you off, Ed. So if we're looking at the three-point stuff, what I was also going to say is like, you don't necessarily need to figure out who's going to shoot better from three. Like, you don't have to predict who's going to do better. You just have to predict who has the wider range of variance, and then you let the variance play out on its own. So, for example, even just looking and saying, and it would probably be a small sample size, but looking and saying, like, these teams typically hover around. They never... Surpass X amount of standard deviations across uh, around their mean. So their whole season is very, very consistent. Might just be the type of shooters they have. And then you might look at another team which shoots has shot 10% from three and then has also shot like 48% from three. And if you look at those range of outcomes and just can determine that this team right here is super variable and you can bang them on the money line, that's something that's like potentially a, a a good bet. Obviously, this stuff's probably priced into the market, but we're looking for smaller edges here, smaller conference yeah. games, stuff like that. When you look at that, that's one way to do it. At the end of the day, if you're betting a team, it's like plus 1,600, plus 1,700. It doesn't matter if they lose by 67 points or if they lose by two points. You're losing your bet regardless if right. you're betting on the money line. So you are just looking for teams with super high variance where they can win that game, and if they can win it, obviously within that percentage of the plus 1600 and you're going to get a plus EV bet.
1: Yeah,
2: no, I like that idea a lot, Rob, but one thing I wanted to, to, to mention with, with what you said about, um, you know, can you look at lineups and and are they going to shoot of higher fraction of threes? The only caution that I would say is that I've looked back in college basketball and I've looked at um, the relationship of your three point field goal percentage, like, attempt rate yep. so the fraction of field goal attempts that come from three and look to see if if you have more variability and offensive the variance in your offensive output and i found none interesting. Uh, interesting there was there was little relationship there i believe that there's the same result in the nba as well so there's the additional question of if you are going to put that small line up are you actually going to get more variance in your results?
1: Right. No, it's, it's, it's a really fascinating question. I mean, there, there's so many ways you can go about it. Like, even as you bring it up, I'm thinking more and more about these types of things. And depending on, again, I don't know what data is available for the NBA, uh, for, for NCAA basketball versus NBA, but I think even isolating uh, transition threes versus like threes that are in a half court set might tell you something about um, randomness for certain teams. Like, I don't, I don't know if, Um, if there's a, there's something there, like it gets the juices flowing for me. We, I'll tell you said that this before. Yeah, Ed, sure.
0: if, if you're going through and scraping through data and actually like removing variable points and stuff like that, you're going to get a better data set than the rest of the market. For examples, a prime example for, for, for you, Ed and for anyone listening is at the end of a quarter or at the end of a half on a low shot clock situation, a team chucks up a three from half or mm-hmm. from their own thing that mm-hmm. still counts yep. as a, a three pointer, Right. right? In theory, you should just remove all those from the data set because they're not actually indicative of the game. You can assign a certain percentage later on if you want to factor it into some sort of model. But reality is, it's irrelevant. So because of the fact that that's not a real three that should count into, oh, I'm three for 13 in the half. So by going through and just like removing all of these types of things, this is just one example for three-pointers. But and then what Rob said is like transitioning it out like, how many transition threes? How many were like fast break off a right. turnover? How many were, which are, you know, typically less common. How many were actually like drawn up out of a timeout? out of a, You know what I mean? Yep. You can actually go through and build a better data set and then have a better uh, angle. So if you're doing any of that, Ed, right. that's money stuff. The real money stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, that sounds good. I mean, there, I mean that, a- anyone listening
2: to this can go to Big Data Ball and get NBA play by play and start doing this stuff and, and following along with what you said, Johnny, you know, when you, you know, the Holy grail is points per possession in the NBA and you can clearly get that from the play by play. But I would argue, you got to strip out all those, all those foul possessions at the end of the game. That's not normal yeah. bass. That's not normal basketball. Right. Um, this is something that I've thought about doing for a while. I've, I've never gotten around to it. So, um, but, but it, you're, you should have a high higher expected points per possession if you're getting fouled intentionally. Right.
1: Or so, you can apply some sort of score effects to, or, or time effects. I mean, that's more right. complicated, but yeah, there's ways to go about that. Um, it's a very interesting conversation, Ed. Um, we're going to switch into filling out brackets shortly, an educational type piece, but I noticed you had Ken, Ken Pomeroy on your podcast um, this past week. For those who don't know who Ken Pomeroy is, you probably don't follow, follow college basketball at all, but he's basically the college basketball Um, analytics godfather, I would call him, uh, pretty much. I mean, um, KenPalm.com, everybody uses the site in some capacity or another. Even if you don't value the projections, there's just so much data available on the site. I'm just curious in your conversation with him, Ed, was there any valuable learning that you took away from that convo with him and just, you know, anything that you were able to pick his brain about?
2: Yeah, so many things. I mean, I, in particular, kind of enjoyed his breakdown of Teams, um, you know, like I'm at a point where like I'm looking for like little things that are not available in box scores, like just insights about players, teams, whatever. And he definitely provided a lot of those. One thing he did say was straight up, like injuries are overvalued. And we were talking about Baylor in particular, and they had an injury. They've had a couple. They have a couple. I would argue two critical injuries, but it doesn't look like they're they're playing any any worse. So could be variance could not be, but he did make the point that we tend to uh, put an emphasis on injuries simply because it's a story to tell and, and our brains like to tell stories. Our brains like to explain things um, because that's what our brains do. They, they make stuff up. And, and that gets me back to the whole thing about how we we tell stories about randomness, right? Which is related to, you know, how you second guess yourself when you're on a losing streak, even though your model has been winning at whatever rate that you trust for however many years, Um, I think that same thing comes into play with injuries, and you know, it was really similar to what Alan Boston said the the week before. He's like, Some injuries don't matter, the team college basketball teams have programs and they can plug guys in and and do just as well. So, I thought that was particularly interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, you probably check it out for yourself because I mean, Ken is definitely worth listening to. He's done a lot of interesting things, uh, he's got
1: curling rankings does he really he's got curling rankings well, we might have to take a look at that actually. <laughs> yeah. we, we were so if, bet, we were betting some olympic curling over here so um and i was oh uh, yeah. i didn't find find ken's stuff i may, maybe it's not published or public i don't know if it is or not but so, um yeah so
2: if you if you go to kenpom.com there's like a little i don't even know what that what's the what's the puck thing the,
1: the puck oh the, like the, the rock that they throw it's called a rock yeah
2: there's a little rock. <laughs> uh in the banner so just
0: click on the rock okay fair enough yeah we got it like there's got to be some detailed analysis who's got the hammer who's got, yeah. <laughs> for those for anyone who watches who doesn't watch curling that, that went right a, over their head that's a thing though yeah that's a thing we always got the hammer. last rock
1: right the hammer's last the last rock. rock is the very hammer. important
0: very important yeah you should if you don't i, I mean what's it is it called a steal do you steal
1: if the it's a steal or it's a blank end. If if there's no points scored. At
0: the if end. there's no points scored, you keep the hammer. You keep the hammer. So if there's no points scored, you keep the hammer. If the other team gets a point when you had the hammer, big no no. That's okay. basically a shorthanded goal.
1: Yes, it's a steal. That's it's tough to it's. I oh, mean. Wow. It's, people do overcome it but it's very difficult. you don't want to give up points when you have the hammer. It's usually a very good indicator that you had a very bad
0: we're, end. we're off the rails already so uh <laughs> Ed if you don't mind just uh where can people find your your podcast you mentioned like the Ken Palm episode we had Alan Boston uh, just I could give that a little plug right now so everyone could write it down for later after you're done this episode you can go watch that one
2: Yeah after <laughs> absolutely uh, it's the football analytics show and you can find it wherever you get your podcasts right now it's the bracket wisdom series which is a daily series of about 10 minutes every day uh, that gets you ready to uh,
0: win your March Madness pool.
1: Okay, we're getting into that right now? We're, we're going to get into it. So I, I, for all the listeners and viewers out there, uh, we're getting into an ed- educational piece, obviously March Madness around the corner. So we want to talk about filling out brackets. Now, some of this stuff that we're going to go over, if you're an experienced better, or someone who you know knows a lot of game theory Some of this stuff may not be for you because we want to appeal to the casual better. Uh, Someone who might be filling out a bracket for the first time is in an office pool or whatever, but also we're going to go through some more advanced concepts as well throughout this. And Ed is a perfect guy. Like I said, uh, I have read this book, which is actually a very quick, short read, but is filled with information. I would highly suggest it for anyone who wants a copy of it that they can uh, refer to over the course of the years. But let's just start with um, a lot of people get discouraged so to speak about filling out a bracket because they don't follow the sport uh, or they don't have some sort of sophisticated model um, number of variety of reasons is it still possible for them to gain an edge over other people in the bracket in their bracket even though they know nothing about the sport
2: absolutely i think if you just use analytics like if you just go to my site or, or, or whatever, I mean, let's not plug my stuff, right? Well, just go to you can 538. Pl- this is
1: your time, Ed. It's your time to shine. You can plug whatever you want.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, if you just go, uh, just any reputable source of analytics, so, uh, whatever, let, let's just use mine because I actually have some solid numbers on it. You know, like your odds of beating someone, and you just put the higher ranked team in, um, in every game. You know, your odds of beating any one person from um, kind of ESPN's bracket, I estimate to be like 75, 80%. Pretty high. So you, there, there's an edge there, right? Like, I mean, we're always as better as looking for, you know, kind of square money. And there's no better example of that than, than March Madness tournaments. Now, if you get into a March Madness pool with uh you know alan boston and mike craig and and other guys who bet on college basketball for a living then uh, that's not such a great idea even if you're in a small pool um and, and that's one of the things we'll talk about you got to know who's in your pool right like you want to get into the dumbest squarest pool that you possibly can of like 10 people that's kind of ideal you know like those family members that are just like oh hey this is fun and uh even if you don't know anything like just just go straight with the numbers your bracket's gonna look really boring it's gonna be a lot of a lot of higher seeds in there but you're gonna give yourself a pretty good chance to win um so i, I do think there's a lot of, there, it's it's a plus ev proposition to to get into these pools
1: now when you actually have the bracket itself a lot of people still print it out and fill it out some do it digitally now as um you know who's still printing these out I personally still put them. You out. write them in pen all your teams? I like to put the bracket up on the wall and after every game I go with a yellow highlighter or a pink highlighter. You write price. in like a dry erase marker? No. It, once I fill it out, it's stuck. It's so, permanent. So here's what I'm saying.
0: How could you possibly fill it out though with a pen? The when I'm filling in a bracket, the amount of erases that or the amount of swaps I end up doing is like probably like upwards of 20 to 30. Cause I get, I, I finish it. I'm like, no, nah, that's going to be too much
1: chalk. And then you go back, adjust some more dogs, you know, like how do you, do you, do you let's take, just say I waste a lot of paper. Fair enough. Let's just say I waste a lot of paper, but uh, ultimately I think different people have different strategies. I'm curious on yours. Um, I've heard all sorts of things. Some people start with a champion and then they kind of work their way backwards from there. Other people start with the initial rounds and they kind of work their way towards a champion. Um, do you have one recommendation over another? And if not, what's your own personal preference for doing the bracket?
2: I think you should always work from champion just because that choice is the most important in terms of points. It's usually worth 32 points, whereas uh, around a 64 is only worth one point. So I think work from champion. And that's what I do on my site. Um, that's what I do for for members and, and people who buy my bracket advice. Like I focus on the eight teams that have a legit chance of winning this tournament. And I try to break it down and I try to give them basically every, you know, like every little thing that, um, every little edge that you can have in kind of evaluate these teams, you know, for example, like I'm not high on Purdue. I think they shot the lights out earlier in the season. Um, they have, they have a great player in Jaden Ivy, but, I'm not high on the rest of the team. They don't play any defense and they are first when I look at my adjusted points per possession. But you there's there's no planet. There's no way you can convince me they're a better offense than Gonzaga. They they're just not.
0: Are you looking Something at the betting are odds? Are you looking at the betting odds at at all when you're look, when you're doing this stage of the brackets? Like the the top 8 teams, like are you just like taking a look at who are the favorites or is this more like ground up Your own analysis i only think these teams could win
2: so i certainly consider the betting markets in that all that's baked into my model um that i use use for all of this so that that's all in there i don't i don't necessarily just take ncaa tournament futures and put it in there um i i think i mean this is going to sound a little pretentious but but i think the models can actually do better um there like i i don't i don't i don't understand why the book should have such a huge vig on on those things um like if you have a good college basketball model you should you should be able to nail these win probabilities um after selection sunday pretty easily but um yeah i mean honestly johnny market data in all sports is is kind of one of my tricks that i try not to talk about too much but it's it's all in there um using past market data is a very powerful way of uh projecting forward
1: when when picking a champion how how much goes how much do the other people in the pool play a factor for you it's like like I'll give an example but say you're on um the UCLA campus and you're filling out a bracket very unlikely that other people are going to pick Arizona to win um or you know you can get a lot of UCLA's to win the tournament um w- yep. like how much of that factors into like potentially let's say you're and I'm, I'm just I'm just throwing out a hypothetical here, but you're down on Arizona. You don't really think that they're deserving of a number one seed or whatever, just throwing something out there. But you know, the vast majority of your pool is going to pick Arizona to, to exit early. Would you then consider straight, you know, changing your strategy, going against your own personal beliefs to throw Arizona in as a national champion, because you would be going contrarian in that, in that state.
2: Yeah, I absolutely would. I mean, maybe you throw up, but sometimes you do that when you're betting on things, right? (laughs) Right. Okay. So So you mentioned first. Yeah. Like knowing who's in your pool is is a really critical thing. And Rob, that's kind of the perfect example, right? If you are local in Los Angeles and everyone's high on UCLA because they made that magical run last year, um, then yes, you should fade them. Um, You should fade them and pick someone else. Arizona is a good example. Um, Gonzaga is an interesting example. They're, they're going to be the favorite yep. by almost any metric that you respectable metric that you can find. But, you know, for that, like it, I, I would suggest like, you know, Arizona, Gonzaga would be my top two favorites, but if you're in LA, you know, you're a little bit more likely to have someone pick a Gonzaga or an Arizona just cause you're on the West coast. Right. So maybe pick the best team, you know, East of the Mississippi river, uh, which this year might be a Kentucky, uh might be a Baylor, Baylor so um yeah but that's absolutely the right thinking right you want to fade what other people are doing I live here in Ann Arbor last year a lot of people picked Michigan to win because mm-hmm. Michigan was pretty good um but but they weren't the best team in the country so there was a lot of value in in fading them
0: okay so you start you got to know who's in your pool so awesome it's very similar to like reading a sports books rules or reading a, your pool's rules before you make a decision right so you got to know who's in. Fade if there's going to be a specific pick. If you're in an NHL playoff pool and you're in Montreal, don't take the Habs. Don't take the Canadians. We got it. So that's step number one, most important. Okay, from there, you mentioned you like to narrow down the top eight, and then these are the teams that potentially can win the tournament. I'm going to pick one of these as my winners. From there, what's next in the process?
2: Yeah, I mean, mean, picking from there, it's pretty easy, right? Because you just pick the higher, you you pick the better team in all the the other games. Um, So I actually provide that service both for members of my site, which will be my best numbers. And then uh, if you sign up for my free email newsletter, I'll give you that cheat sheet for, um, based on my, my public numbers, which are margin of victory adjusted for strength of schedule. I try to make that pretty easy because, you know, I mean, in particular, you don't want to spend too much time trying to figure out the 12 over the five. You know, it, it used to be a thing where, you know, you would just write all these articles about like, you know, which 12 is going to beat a five because there was a little small sample size of years where there were a lot of upsets there. Um, now, if you kind of look at the, if you look at a large enough data set, like 12 seeds are slightly less likely uh, to beat, beat, to win that first game than 11 seeds, or slightly less, and they're slightly more likely. you know, then the 13 seed, right. It's, it's very linear. There's nothing special about that 12 when you look at a big enough data set. So don't, you know um, and again, you know, the the stuff I was telling you about predicting upsets as well, like that stuff's hard. Um, Just, just pick the chalk. You're going to be fine. And I, it's really similar to, you know, how like, you know, Rufus always tweets on the super bowl. Like I'm hoping for the most boring super bowl ever. Yeah. Like I want, I want to be asleep at halftime kind of idea, it's kind of the same thing with pools. Like you want a boring tournament. It's, it's not like you're not going to win if, if things go crazy in the first couple of rounds, because things do go crazy. Right. But the more boring it is, the, the better it is for kind of your optimal strategy. Um, both like kind of the favorites where you're, where you're in a small pool and you, and you want to pick up, you know, the higher ranked team, you know, a lot of chalk versus uh you know, the contrarian thing where you are trying to fade other people in both cases, you want, the the optimal strategy, you're rooting for kind of a boring tournament. And um, I, I think there's a lot of parallels there.
0: So uh, if, if you're in a bigger pool, you know, like, let's say like 20,000 people, even yeah. go more than that. 100,000 people. Yeah. Massive pool hosted on some site. Um, how does this change everything? Or does it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I personally wouldn't join that pool because you know, if you're in a, a, what, a hundred thousand person pool, I, you know, my methods can probably get you to win about once every 5,000 years.
0: Yeah.
1: So, so let's say it's a free, let's say it's a free, free, it's the Warren Buffett, let's not even say it's a a Warren Buffett, like perfect bracket thing. Let's just say it's a million dollar. Winner
0: wins a trip to the Super Bowl, free
1: entry, some brand sponsors it and
0: whatever. We're basically
1: forcing you to join the pool, Ed. And we want to know what your strategy would be in that larger pool.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Um,
2: uh, yeah, I mean, you're certainly not picking all favorites there, right? right. I mean, you're, you're going to go with, you're going to go with upsets. You're going to talk to people who know 358 college basketball teams and, and which ones are more likely to win than not. Um, yeah, I did some stuff on the odds of a, of a perfect bracket. Uh, it ain't happening. It's So small. It's so small that I think I, I think if I remember right, the cost to insure
0: it was like $2,000. Yeah. For a billion? For yeah, a billion. That, that probably sounds about right. Because if um, I, I follow it every year. There's like an ESPN tracker that tracks how many of the ESPN brackets across all pools are perfect through just the first two days. And right. it's usually like between like zero and 10. So that would right. be between the first, just the first two days, right? Then you just get into Saturday, Sunday, and then yep. it's, it's done.
1: I believe, I could be speaking out of my ass here, but I'm pretty sure that you are more likely to get struck by lightning seven times in your life than you are to fill out a perfect bracket to give people some perspective. But what if
0: you're trying to get struck by lightning? Well, then it's a different story. I'm
1: talking about like not going out with an umbrella and, you know, a steel rod in the air or anything like that. Just like the statistic, statistically speaking over time, you're more likely what's more likely you shoot around a golf in the 60s. Please stop now.
0: (laughs) Or I fill out a proof bracket. Okay, Ed. Um, okay, awesome. So basically to sum that up real quick, what we're saying is like if you are in a bigger pool, and I, I think actually I'll ask Ed this one, like what constitutes a pool size where you would want to stay with like kind of like the, the chalk strategy um, versus actually trying to expand it? Like how many is too many? If your pool's 10 people, no doubt you want to make sure you're like chalk, pick one of the top eight teams to win the pool. Don't go crazy with like a, se- a seven seed winning it, stuff like that. But if you're in a pool, let's say like 100 people or uh, 150, it's just like an office pool, uh, some some job you work. Does that change like in terms of like the 10-person pool, 150, and then obviously 100,000? Where would you put that 100 to 150 sweet spot?
2: Yeah. Where the favorite strategy uh, has a lower win probability than like kind of a contrarian fading strategy. It's usually somewhere between 20 and 50. Maybe, man, I guess I've seen some examples where it gets to a hundred, um, but yeah, somewhere somewhere between there. I mean, so, so basically, you know, all these are estimates based on data from ESPN and it kind of matters um, the fraction of people that you're assuming pick the favorite, you know? So, you, you know, if you think back to, uh, I've been using 2019 as an example, when Duke was a big favorite, Um, you know, my numbers had them about 34% chance to win the NCAA tournament, which is very, very high for the favorite. Um, but, uh, let's see. So it was like, uh, you know, let's say like 40% of ESPN brackets picked, uh, Duke the, like the higher that is like, let's assume like 50 person, let's assume like 50, 50% chose Duke. Just just for example, the bigger that gap between the 50 percent of people and then their true odds of winning at 34 percent, the smaller that that crossover point becomes. Right. So. Right. So basically, like the worse that other people are picking, um, the smaller the pool that that you can potentially start using the contrarian strategy.
1: Makes sense.
0: Fair enough. Okay. Um, Last question on this, I guess, and then we can start to get into our closing question here. But we wanted to get like you to give out a piece of advice you haven't given out before. So definitely, anyone listening, check out Ed's shows. Um, you know he mentioned before we'll plug him again at the end. But what's one piece of advice specifically for college basketball, March Madness? Specifically for March Madness, that's like it's not out there. Give us a piece of advice that, or or give us something that's like super overrated, and you're like never follow this. Both will be just as valuable.
2: Right. So. I mean, I mean, I already talked about some. like don't focus on 12 over fives like that's like literally the worst waste of time that you can possibly get. And Johnny I actually already gave you one right like the the whole like the lack of predictability of upsets is something that's going to appear on my podcast the day after this. Um, You know, it's like it's like predicting earthquakes, man, it's 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 hard um so i just i just wouldn't spend too much time on that i would spend time with uh looking at what the market says looking at what my model says looking at what any other uh trusted authority says um in in it, it's hard to predict upsets and and i would i wouldn't try i mean you can try if you if you want to have some fun with it and then like i would just i guess my last piece of advice i would just really be cautious about the stuff you read out there so and and you know it doesn't take it doesn't take too much uh, intelligence to figure this out. But I was looking for other articles about um, how to predict upsets in the tournament, and there was an entire article on the NCAA.com that took the nine times that a fifteen had beat a two as their sample set for what constitutes an upset. And obviously, nine games is is no no kind of sample size at all. Um, for for upsets. So yeah, there's a lot of trash out there. Um, I I kind of want to do a podcast episode just but like worst worst advice on on tournament and, and filling out your pool. I think that would be a lot of fun. It probably wouldn't be that useful for people, but there's a lot of garbage out there. I mean, that's kind of the reason I wrote the book. I was looking out, uh, you know, for a lot uh, out there for a lot of advice. And, you know, I first kind of got wind of the contrarian advice because there was there was a good article out there on Yahoo, maybe like 2008 or something about how you fade other people. But then I started looking more for like, you know, this is what maybe 2012, 2013, before I wrote the book. There's just a lot of garbage out there. So, you know, stick stick with people that you trust, like, you know, the people at 538 know what they're talking about. Um I know what I'm talking about. So,
1: I mean, there you go. I'd, lo- I'd love to join you for that podcast of things not to do. That's like kind of She's my specialty. Pull the, open articles and stuff. Yeah, the, like the, we, we kind of have it with tweets that trigger us on this as well, where we kind of turn into educational. Right. But yeah, there are certain things, I think especially um, the ones that trigger me the most are around March Madness are the articles of like, always pick a 12 seed to advance in the first round. And it's like, okay, now what if all the 12 seeds are 20 point underdogs in their games? Are you going to pick one just to have one advance because it's happened in these previous years, right? And then like the oh, make sure that you have I'm just throwing out random stuff here. Make sure you have at least one 13 seed in the, you know, the, the sweet 16. It's like, why? Like if they're all 15 point underdogs in the first round, why am I going to pick them to advance? And I think a lot of people just fall into like the dumb this has happened in the past. Therefore, it's a indicator of the future. But I mean, well, we, I mean all, like we know we know the way that the committee ranks these teams as well, right? Lots of times you get some really bogus, crazy stuff out there um, where it would not be uncommon to see, you know, a, an 11 seed favored over a six. Um, right. You know how about how about
0: this one? This this isn't even pre bracket, but after the first round, you always see these like news outlets that potentially claim to be like gambling news outlets or just regular news outlets saying like, "What an upset! Like, (laughs) ten seed pulls off the upset, huge upset." It's like, bro, there's minus (laughs) one seventy five (laughs) favorite. Like just looking at the seed numbers, that would that would be a fun one.
2: You know, and th- and this is like obvious advice for people listening to this show, but if you're filling out a bracket, like just just look at who's favorite in the markets, right? For those first round games. Like look at, I mean, you can get sweet 16 odds on on anything, right? That. Yeah. And and and, and I
1: would even apply that to future rounds personally. A lot of people right? um like, you know, if you are going to pick a, a an underdog to make a run in the tournament as an example, and you want to be contrarian, differentiate yourself, have a 13 14 seed going far, I'd probably look at the ones that are the smallest underdogs in their games if I'm going to have exactly. them advance multiple rounds, right? I'm not going to take the 20-point underdog in round 1 to advance multiple rounds. So I think that that plays into it as well. And the last thing we haven't touched on yet, which I just think is important to touch on for anyone um that's listening is you have to know the rules of your pool, right? There are different scoring systems sometimes for March Madness, some that incentivize you to pick an underdog. So if an underdog or a lower-rated seed wins their game, you get extra bonus points. In that case, you're definitely going to want to look at the market numbers because like we said, sometimes lower seeds are actually favored in the game and you're almost always going to want to pick that team regardless of whether or not you think they're going to lose because there's just such incentive for you to do so. There's also pools
0: where like I I was once in a pool where like if the 16 seed wins, then that's 16 points. If the one seed wins, only one point. At that point, like when I was running through that, it was better to just take every single dog, right? I mixed in some around the middle seeds, but... If that's the case, then you have to look at the max amount of points that one seed can't even get, right? It's just like one, 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 one. So as Rob mentioned, always read your rules. Uh, we, we should have mentioned that off the, off the rip. So read your rules and then know who is in the pool with you.
1: Yes. Um, Ed, we will wrap up with our closing question, which we asked to every single guest on the uh, podcast, which you've probably heard at some point or another. But if you could go back five years and talk to a previous version of yourself, what piece of advice would you give to your old self?
2: I would say that you really, you, you need to spend more time trying to help others. And I know that seems kind of trite, but like um, maybe let me give you an example, like of, of, of my life in, in sense in, in, in my work, right? Like my work has always kind of been football and, um, you know, like after and March Madness and after March Madness ends, like, I don't know, in past years, I would just not, uh, you know, maybe do some NBA stuff, maybe like, uh, I'm, I'm saying this really badly, but but now the more I think about, the more I've changed over the last couple of years is focusing on how, more focusing on like, how can I help members of my site and people who follow me, right? And that is knowing more about football and doing better football calculations than anyone else out there. And the, you know, the month of, of April and may is the time to do that. And, um, I think I get a little bit better at that every year. I hope to continue to get better at that every year, but I think if you can help other people, whether it's, you know, the people that are members of my site or, you know, your betting partners like if you just kind of focus on helping and how you make yourself helpful in the most useful way, like everything else kind of takes care of itself in terms of money, uh, in terms of kind of s- satisfaction. And you can even apply this to like, obviously like your life as well, right? You can get the most benefit out of your marriage. If you focus on helping your your spouse, yep. uh, you can get the most out of your family and, and your life. Um, if you kind of focus on helping your kids. Even if that means like, you know, the drudgery of spending an hour on a Saturday, like filling out some form for like the soccer team. And I think that, you know, I think a lot of times in life we we get caught up in the rat race and where we're going and this and and that and the other thing. I know I certainly do. I think the thing that's kind of helped me the most is just, just making it really simple, like waking up and saying, well, how can I most help members of my site? And working on my business? How can I most help like my wife and, in in her, you know, her job and her career and, and stuff like that. And I think if you just kind of focus on that, everything else kind of it takes care of itself. And like, you know, that doesn't mean like you have to work 52 weeks out of the year on, on your business or whatnot. Like you should take, you should take some time away. You should take a week to, you know, think big and, and how you want to proceed in the future. That doesn't mean you don't take vacations or whatnot, but you know, when you are focused on work or, or the meaningful things, um, you know, if you just, if you think about how you can sweat for others a little bit, I think a lot of everything else takes care of itself.
0: So- Ed, I'm not going to lie to you. It was a rough start to the answer, for sure. <laughs> it was really well but said. One that, of the best. That was our best answer. I think we've ever, <laughs> we've ever received. Right. Um. Thank you for that advice. I think that's amazing. You know, just making yourself um more valuable to others around you. Um. You know, I didn't even, I even, I'm just still it's still spinning in my mind. Thank you very much. that was an amazing answer. And thank you for coming on to the podcast and being with us here today. Before we close off, if you just want to plug your stuff one more time, so you've got that podcast coming out on Friday. Listeners can find it. Uh, um, is it the football analytics show where that will be? Or yeah. Is it, yeah. Okay. So you go, so go ahead. It's very confusing.
2: It's very confusing this time of year. Cause uh, my podcast is the football analytics show, but right now during March, it's uh, um, the bracket wisdom series. So it's a daily podcast uh, of about 10 minutes every day. It started Monday, March 7th, and it'll go every weekday until the start of the tournament next Thursday. Um, but it really is about football and football analytics because that is the bulk of my business and that's the bulk of of what i'm going to do and uh basically as soon as the tournament starts my next guest is uh i don't know who he's going to be but but someone to talk about what the heck is going on with russell wilson and and nice and aaron Rodgers and and all that stuff so my podcast is the football analytics show and then my site is thepowerrank.com i think the best way to uh to interact there is to sign up for my uh, email newsletter. So it's my sports betting email newsletter. And, um, uh, you know, I try to make it three things valuable, concise, and entertaining. And during football season, it's mostly about football. Um, um but you know, I'm trying to do some golf in the off season, started doing that last year and, uh, it was, it was pretty good. And, uh, so the, the newsletter is the best way to go simply because like this time of year, like I'm so busy that like I'll send out a newsletter and forget to post it on the site. <laughs> and so, um, you know, if you're on the newsletter, you can, you get, get all my best stuff. Um, and, uh, and you can always just reply. If you have a question, just, just reply to the email newsletter and I'll get back to you about whatever. Very cool. Um, so that, uh, that you can get that at the
1: If you could go back and talk to a previous version of yourself, would you change the name of your podcast to make it less confusing?
0: Um, no, no. <laughs> Probably gets a so, lot of good SEO value. That's what I was
1: saying. It's, it is a good name for rank, like traffic. Yeah. It's like you, you got all the things covered. Football no, analytics. Nobody is
0: searching circles off ever, but people are definitely <laughs> searching football analytics. So he's, he's way up on us right now. Yeah, no, actually, Rob, I would say no, because I
2: chose that at a point in my, uh, in the evolution of my business where I knew like, it wasn't like, like my business is not ranking sports teams. Right. My business is to help football betters with better calculations. And I realized that right when I started the podcast and that's why I called it the football analytics show. Maybe I should change it to the football analytics and betting show. Cause that's, that's really what it is. But I think that title reminds me like, like this is what we do. Right. And you need to get back to talking about football. And, you know, and that's a mistake I've made. I feel like, you know, like I I haven't been good about getting episodes up in the offseason. I I think it's fine to do some episodes that are not necessarily all football in April and May. But, um, you know, people care about it all year round. And and um, the title kind of helps me focus on on what I should be doing on that podcast.
1: Perfect. Uh, okay. I will plug the book one more time as well. How to win your NCAA uh, tournament uh, by Ed yeah, Fang. Rob really holding up a pockets
0: Bible size. pocket. It would honestly book. would fit
1: in my back pocket. It's it's a, a very quick read, but it's actually like, there's a lot of detailed things, examples in here, which I like about it. There are visuals. Um, it's it's really good. Honestly, I'd highly recommend it for anyone who's just like, if you want to have it on hand, you can refer to it every single year. I think it's really good stuff. So you can check that out on Amazon. Uh, or Kindle as run. well. Yep. Um, uh, appreciate yeah, it. Go ahead. Ed.
2: Just, just like if you're, if you're on Kindle unlimited, you can get the book at no additional cost. Beautiful. And, okay. Uh, just download it on your Kindle. And, uh, if you are really fluent in analytics and you trust me that your odds of decrease, uh, your odds of winning a pool decrease exponentially with pool size, you can just skip the first two chapters and go straight to chapter three. Know exactly what to do for your pool.
0: Okay. Dr. Ed Fang, everyone. Thanks everybody for listening. We will see you all next week. Rate, review, five stars.